You're listening to Something Real with Pastor Rich Zeiger, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On today's episode, we're staying in Luke, and we're talking a little bit about how who we are determines what we do. So we're going to be looking at the latter portion of Luke chapter 2 today. I'm going to start with verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So in this first uh, part of it, what we see is um, Joseph and Mary as devout Jews keeping the law, uh, adhering to what had been prescribed. Um, Moses in Exodus 13 uh, had delivered the word of the Lord that in keeping with, as, as part of this exodus process uh, and the, the death of the firstborn and the delivery from Egypt, uh, every firstborn male was to be consecrated to the Lord. And uh, it says that they are doing this at the time when the purification rites were required. Um, we look at, at the book of the law and in Leviticus uh, specifically we see that um, there was an unclean, a ceremonially unclean period uh, after a woman would give birth, and so they would wait a period of time, and then they would have to come and be ceremonially, ceremonially ritually purified. <clears throat> and uh, as they came to do this, they would offer uh, they would offer a sacrifice, and specifically, it points out here that they offer the, the sacrifice of a pair of doves or two young pigeons as prescribed in uh, Leviticus chapter 12. And that's specifically the, the offering that is brought by poor people. If you want, you're too poor to be able to bring uh, the standard sacrifice, you would bring, uh, bring this. So that tells us something about this family that we're looking at. They're devout uh, because they're Jews, they're keeping the law. So we see uh, already in this what we're going to see throughout this particular passage that uh, who they are determines what they do and it it, uh, it takes them in a particular direction and leads to right behavior. Uh, picking up the passage again with verse 25 uh, and we'll see Jesus um, what Jesus is going to do revealed in these coming uh, coming portions. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, 
and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So as Simeon is there, um, he doesn't know these folks. He's there because the Holy Spirit has moved him to come there. So God has revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he's going to see the Messiah before he passes into uh, the way of all flesh. And the Holy Spirit moves him to come, and the Holy Spirit seems to identify this particular child to him. And, uh, and then he prophesies and talks about who this child is and what this child will do, what he's born to do. There's more yet. Um, we see following up on this in uh, verse 36, there was also a prophet, uh, used to be prophetess, but we don't say that anymore. So uh, the NIV now says there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. We've got a lot of old people in these stories. Uh, she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. I don't take that to be that she literally never left the temple, but more like when you say, you know, Stacy's always at the mall or, you know, or really more always at Hobby Lobby, you know, go, True story. going to Meyer 24-7, <laughs> you know. So if she's up and awake, that's just what people you know, she's going, right. that's you know, right. That's how she would be associated. She's the woman who's always at the temple. Um, verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So we see this connection between uh, awaiting the consolation of Israel and those who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. That um, they're, These are folks who are um, holding out for the hope that God is going to restore comfort and help his people as he had promised. Um, verse 39, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee uh, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. So the as we see these stories unfold, we looked previously at... Um, just the birth event as mm -hmm. Luke uh, saw fit to include this uh, by the inspiration of God to include this nativity narrative. Um, that'll be my new phrase now, the nativity narrative. So as he brings this into it, um, we see the angels declaring and the, and the shepherds uh, investigating and everybody marveling because of who Jesus is. So God intervenes supernaturally to, to give this, um, you know, personal identification of who Jesus is. Now we see because of who Jesus is that uh, Simeon and Anna are prophesying here about what he will do. And that fits really well with what we see at the very beginning of it, setting the tone. Because Joseph and Mary are righteous, devout, God-following Jews, they're following the law. They're doing the things that Jews should do. Simeon and Anna are basically prophesying that because Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, he is going to do what the Messiah was born to do, what the Messiah is made to do. So if you're the Messiah, then you do these things. And they're saying this child is going to do this, going to cause the rising and falling of many, and there's going to be hard times. He's going to be spoken against. The sword's going to pierce your own soul. Um, and this is what what the people have been waiting for, that uh, one of the things that I think is really cool about it is that he's 
the Messiah is born as a light to the Gentiles. The Messiah is for Israel, but as we'll see throughout Luke's gospel, there's this, um, Luke's keenly aware of what the prophets had foretold, that Messiah wouldn't only be for Israel and be saving Israel, but would be for everyone to see God. So it's pretty cool to, to see that portion of the story. And at what point then, because Jesus is a child at this mm-hmm. point when, when, when all this is happening, and then at what point, I guess you can, we can all ask this about ourselves too, at what point do we take on that role of because of who we are, this is what we're going to do? Like when, when does Jesus say, see this? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's a pretty good question. And, and I guess my, my inclination would be to answer that by saying we always do. You know, when we're, uh, when we're infants, we do what babies do, right? We, well, we, yeah. yeah, as you know, having a, a six-month-old yourself, uh, there are certain things that babies do. They eat, they fill their diapers, they cry, they giggle and coo and do cute things and, um, and, drool. and drool a lot, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and that's what babies do. Why does, why does George, your son, do that? Well, he's baby. because he's a baby, right? <laughs> so it, it's not that those things make him a baby, but being a baby means that's what you do. It's interesting to me that the very next um, section, that uh, I won't read it today, but as we finish out this chapter in Luke, um, it jumps from this, this early narrative of infant Jesus, directly to 12-year-old Jesus in the temple. Right. And um, the... They're there for Passover. He goes into the temple, and he's hanging out with all the, the rabbis and elders, and they're like, wow, this guy's amazing, this 12-year-old kid. What's he doing? And when they go back, uh, that when they leave Jerusalem to go back home, uh, Jesus gets left behind, you know, big um, crowd of travelers. And later on, they're, they're already on their journey. They realize they don't have him. And when they get back and they find him, his response is, well, why wouldn't you know that I have to be in my father's house? I have to be about my father's work. So as as 12-year-old Jesus, he is doing what 12-year-old Jesus really had to do because that's what was in him, to be able to, to study God's word, to discuss God's word, to begin this, um, this formation, I guess, uh, of who he would be. It's interesting to me, uh, and I have no idea of the significance other than just being interesting to me, that um, we see Jesus at 12. Well, when, when do Jews have a bar mitzvah that mm. would demonstrate that they're uh, moving into manhood at 13? So for some reason, we see Jesus prior to that right. at 12, but he's doing these adult-type things in teaching the Word of God. And then we jump ahead way past that through all the formative teenage years directly to adult ministry um, and through all of it however the the timing works out as far as when we you know self-revelation in in our self-discovery in um, in all of us in our human uh, development is kind of tricky because it's a it's individual it's different so when I become self-aware as a child might be different than my brother or sister when they become self-aware because we're all individual. Right. And then as we as we grow, we develop at different paces. We you know have different things that. Develop but like you in just us. said, your teenage years and you know your <clears throat> early twenties, those are often considered your formative. For years, sure, yeah. You know? So so along the, along the way, Jesus is growing, and uh, they give us this phrase. They break both of those passages. Uh, I say they. I mean Luke breaks both of these. Uh, passages with and the child uh, 
grew in wisdom and stature, or the child grew and became strong. So we see that he's following a normal growth pattern of children. But because he is who he is, everything about the approach to life is of necessity different. For sure, there's no scenario where Mary and Joseph, knowing that they are raising the Messiah, are just going on, you know, hey, we're going to treat him like any other child. Right. I'm sure that they had to have, because this is a conscious thing for them, an angel shows up and tells you you're having the Son of God, you're going to be aware of that. You know, right. It doesn't just go away. Um, and for both of them, this is something they were keenly aware of. So how they taught Jesus was tied to who he was. Well, that's really interesting, and it kind of brought another question to my mind when you were talking about uh, Mary and Joseph. Realistically, yes, they probably brought Jesus up a little bit differently than if he were a sure. normal child. So I think we can kind of look at ourselves that way, and self-identification, I think, is is huge based on not just how we grow up, yes, but what other people tell us or just the circumstances where we're put you know a person that person was born on the wrong side of the track so they're going to end up this way this person is this so they're going to end up that way and we see ourselves that way well i was born poor so i'm right if you're raised in the royal family of england you're going to live a certain way that's how you were taught it's who you are it's not that you were uh for us jesus had a different and divine nature for us as humans uh who are not fully God and fully man, but only fully man. Uh, as we're going, speak for yourself. <laughs> fully human. I apologize. So as we're, um, I'm really old, so I use archaic terms. So as we're, it's 2018. As we're seeing how this progresses in our own in our own walk, um, the way we think is always going to determine the way we act. That that's a universal principle. My thoughts are going to drive my actions. So if going back to that example, if I'm raised in the royal family of England, I'm going to think a certain way and act a certain way. It's not that I'm genetically, you know, given to royalty, right? Uh, but this is who you are. It's how you were raised. I remember growing up, my, my parents would say, you know, you're a zyger. You know, this is who you are. You were trained to, to be this way. Don't embarrass the family and so on, you know, all these different kinds of things. All of that being tied to my identity within the family. So as Christ followers, if we are saved, if we have received Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, and uh, he can never be one or the other, he's either, he's either both or he's neither. If he's my Lord, my master, the, the leader and controller of my life, and has saved me from my sin, then my nature now is changed. Mm-hmm. My identity is changed. I'm no longer defined as a sinner in need of grace. No longer defined by the world. Oh, absolutely. I'm defined by by God's declaration. So now he calls me a saint, and that's how we see this throughout the the New Testament. Doesn't mean that I don't sin, just like, you know, Prince Harry doesn't occasionally act like any other guy. But I am different because God has declared me different. He has changed my identity. And because of that, now the natural... If I can use that term, it's probably not really the most accurate. The The natural outflow of that is for me to begin to let the Holy Spirit in me transform me and the life of Christ come out from me. 
When that doesn't happen, then I'm not acting like who I am. I'm acting like who I used to be when I was dead in my sins and, and, and separated from God. But now, being made alive in Christ, Christ's life in me, Him living through me, is the natural and right thing. Therefore, my identity determines my activity. When I'm not living up to that, for most of us as Christ followers, in let me say, for most of us in America in this particular time, I can't speak for other areas, other cultures, other time periods, but we tend to be uneducated about what the Scripture says about who we are. So if I, let's say I was born um, the, the son of the Queen of England, I'm a prince uh, of the realm at that point, but let's say we were separated, I get switched out of the hospital or whatever else mm. for some strange thing that we're going to end up in a Hallmark movie. I was just you know. going to say that. <laughs> um, I, I don't know that I'm the prince. Right. So I grow up in the slums. Like the prince and the pauper. I, exactly. exactly. <laughs> that story is a perfect example. So I grow up in, in the ghetto. I don't know that I'm a prince. But when I discover that identity, now it changes things. But if I don't know what that identity means, I don't know how to live that way, I'm going to do a poor job of it, and it's going to take education. So that's part of the discipleship process, the, the progress of sanctification in our lives. But our identity changes, therefore our activity changes. That's such a huge concept, I think, because, you know, especially if you, if you come to Christ when you're older, mm -hmm. or because as a child, you know, I, I know in real life, I, I've always, you know, thought this was a great idea, baptism is a choice mm -hmm. so you know you're not baptize a baby right because yeah. it's not their choice it might right. their, be their parents choice but not their choice right other folks and other um, denominations or traditions do separate meaning from what from right. what we're doing and there's but, I don't know, yeah. a problem with that but you know I, I, I like that it's a choice it's that person's decision yeah we believe that's the picture that scripture gives us. right so if but if you're older and you and you come to Christ then you have a lifetime of some kind of identity being thrown at you mm -hmm. you know if, if it for you it was this is your family this is how you're gonna act this mm -hmm. is who you are but for so many people I feel like we're slapped with negative identities sure in in some capacity and that's so easy to think of yourself that way it's so much easier to think of yourself in a negative capacity than a positive capacity <laughs> absolutely that's the nature of sin in the world we live in a fallen and broken place right. even so. if it's a small thing you can make it huge about yourself absolutely so to then you know accept Christ into your life and and be saved I think a lot of people think there's a switch that flips mm. but when you have a lifetime of of your own identity right. being I mean, eating at you. It takes a lot of work and studying and prayer Absolutely. and a whole bunch of other stuff to grow in Christ. It's like it's it's a growth process, right? Like, Absolutely right. You know, and and I love the example of uh, when after the Emancipation Proclamation, when the slaves were freed mm -hmm. uh, in our nation, there were no more slaves. Unfortunately, right. we know that that's not how it played out in a right. practical everyday thing so it, it, that might have been true but the majority of people didn't know any other way to live mm -hmm. this is what they knew it's what they did and so they still lived as if they were slaves that same thing happens in our lives all the time we're so used to that false identity equation that we've been given you know as you know i'm a 
skinny kid, fat kid, you know, dumb kid, smart kid, short kid, tall kid. And we get these things like in Dr. Our, Seuss book. <laughs> yeah. We get these things in our in our minds so much so that it drives everything else. And when we begin to think of ourselves that way, then we act in accordance with that. And that's it's really unfortunate. It's it happens to every single one of us, as you mentioned. We do live in a fallen world. And so, you know, we our parents are teaching us what they know, right. whatever that is, whatever baggage they have, and every single person has baggage. Right. Whatever baggage they have, that's going to get uh, passed on to us one way or another. And that that isn't because there is no other choice, but that's the way it goes. And we then, end up having that. And then it becomes so hard because that baggage becomes so heavy, it's hard to give it up. For sure. Yeah. It's we hard. get used to it. Right. And, and then it becomes hard to give yourself up to yeah. Christ. and. I don't know. It's difficult. Yeah, you, you might you might call it an identity addiction. We you know sure, we're, yeah. we're hooked on even if you thinking, hate it. Absolutely. Well, and that's the case with most addicts. They they hate that thing that they're hooked on, but they can't get away from it. Right. And we do that with our identity a lot of times. And you know it it shows up in so many different things. Whether you know whether those identity equations show up in leading us to addictions, to self harm, um, eating disorders, all you know depression, all kinds of these things. They're all the outworking of how we view ourselves. Well, if we can begin to understand who we really are in Christ and take hold of that that actual, real, foundational identity equation that God gives us, then it begins to change everything else about our lives. So where... <laughs> I know you, you say this almost every time we do communion here and everything, but I think a, a practical place to, to go here is how do you start that process? How, I mean, what is the, you know, if someone's the listening and they, and they relate to this, I mean, we all can relate to it in some way. Mm -hmm. I still, you know, see myself a certain way sometimes and I'm sure everybody does, mm -hmm. but the idea of, of giving your life up for Christ, I mean, I think when you think about that as a concept, it seems huge yeah. because you're giving up yourself and where do you even start from? So from a, from a practical standpoint, I guess, um, I, understand, I know that it's different for every person and you have to go through your own thing, but is, is there a place to start? The, the place to start is in entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the biggest, the biggest thing. If I'm going to understand the power of, of that identity, I need to actually have that identity. And so the, the scriptures tell us in, in variety of places, it's, it's really the theme throughout, is that uh, on our own, we are corrupt and sinful. We're born that way. We choose it as well. From Adam on, all of us are separated from God which breaks us from the entire purpose that we were created for. It breaks us from our, uh, from our uh, identity that God intended for us. Every person was created in God's image, intended for an intimate, perfect relationship with Him, but sin separates us from that. And so then, because of that sin, it corrupts our thinking. Our, our intellect is darkened, if you will. And so um, then we keep, rather than taking the... the clear and obvious answer that God gives us of repentance and turning ourselves back over to him, we try every other thing in the world. We try religion, we try um, 
reputation. We reject God because that obviously must be his fault. We blame God. We you know, blame others. We try to find ourselves through uh, relationships or hide from the pain through substances. We try to define ourselves with our career or by having children or whatever else. And all of these false identity equations fail to get us the joy that, that we're looking for, the peace that we're looking for. But the good news is, even though we can't fix the problem with our good deeds or our good intentions or our religion, the good news, the gospel, is that God, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him doesn't perish but has everlasting life. So to, to come to grips with that reality that if I keep trying to do this on my own, I'll keep getting the results I've been getting. I will be who I have determined myself to be in my, in my uh, false identity equations. And it will always end up falling short of who I was meant to be. But if I will relinquish that, if I'll let go and, and say, Lord, I, I want you. I'm going to do this your way. And I may not know all of what that means, but I know that Jesus is the way. He died for my sins. You raised him from the dead. I want him to be my master. Then the Bible tells us that we will be saved. We will be, as Jesus said in John 3, reborn, born again, starting over. Uh, 2 Corinthians, um, uh, I lost my mind for a second. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17, first, yeah, 2 Corinthians. <laughs> Clearly his headache's getting to me. Uh, so <laughs> in 5, uh, 17 to 21, we see that if we're in Christ, then we're new creatures. We're, we're starting all over again. And well, I think that's why so many people come to Christ when they're just totally broken. And right, and that's that's the thing. Until we get to that place of total brokenness, then we, I mean, we, we always want to not have pain. But apart from pain, we don't humble ourselves. We don't get to that place. We just humble ourselves to wherever we have to. <laughs> and, and until we, we have no other options, we don't tend to turn to God. Um, and he doesn't want us to just turn to him in those hard times and then forget about him. He wants us. He wants this this relationship that we were designed for. And Paul writes that that Christ, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. In other words, we're trading that. He's taking on our sin identity so that we can take on his righteousness. He paid that price completely. So then everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. If we confess uh, that, um, if, if we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, if we believe in our hearts that God raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. But that's just the beginning. That's like the wedding, right. not the marriage. And so now, now our identity has because changed. Because that can be really exciting, you know. It, it is, and you might it's get awesome. fired up about it for a while, and Absolutely. then it kind and of then flickers out. Comes. Right, and that's it. that's why I love the marriage example because. I mean, who gets married when they're not excited? You know, most people are pretty fired up on their wedding day. You know, even if there's all kinds of problems, everybody's excited on their wedding day. Because there's cake. Party, there's cake, there's party, there's dancing, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, when you get first get married, you're, you know, you're at the wedding, you're on your honeymoon, and you're just crazy in love, and that's awesome. But that's not sustainable for any humans. Nobody does that. I'm absolutely mad about my wife. Nobody's ever been more in love than I am with my wife. 
But over 30 years, if it was just the in love feeling, that's not going to last. Mm-hmm. So we had to develop that relationship that was bigger and deeper and broader with roots that could stick when tragedy happens. And, and we've had a lot of tragedy that, that has come into our lives. And it could have shaken us. And I'm, I'm hard to get along with sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm a real jerk. And so I could have broken this relationship really easily if that's all it was. But because there's a depth to it, that identity required development. She was already my wife. I was already her husband. But the relationship required growth and knowledge and studying one another. And that same thing is necessary in our discipleship. If we're going to experience the freedom that is ours in Christ, if we're going to experience the power of our identity, which is already true, then we need to actually spend time studying that relationship, spending time in God's Word. What does God actually say? Not what did some preacher on television or on some podcast say, But what does the Bible say? What does God actually say to us about us? How does he view us? What does this identity mean? And the more I understand that, then the more I can embrace the peace that he gives. In Philippians chapter 4, we've been memorizing this passage with our youth group lately. Um, Paul calls us to rejoice in the Lord. And it's very interesting to note that he's in prison when he's writing this Mm -hmm. on house arrest, but he's incarcerated. Life has not been great in many ways for Paul. He gave up everything. He had a great uh, position. He was um, well respected. Uh, And when he turned his life over to Christ, he traded those things for something greater. But it was more difficult in many ways in this life. And yet through shipwrecks and beatings and stonings and arrests, Paul found a peace greater than he ever had when he was the zealous Pharisee trying to, you know, keep the law of the Lord. Now he found something that made him say everything else he'd ever known was rubbish, was garbage. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be evident to all. When we rejoice in the Lord, then the way we conduct ourselves changes. So now we can be gentle, reasonable, easy to get along with in a way that flows from who we are inside. And because of that, then the logical thing, he says, is don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And when you do that, when we actually do these things in keeping with who we are, that's when the peace of God, which goes beyond any of our understanding, our our ability to understand our circumstances and so on, that peace of God then will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. But if we don't do the things that lead to that, in keeping with our identity, then we won't experience that peace. That's why the very next verse he's saying, look, if anything is is uh, true or uh, noble or right or pure or uh, admirable or lovely, if anything's excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. What he's saying is we need to get our minds aligned with the reality of God's word, not with all of the stuff in our identity equations, not with all the stuff that the world slaps on us or that we see around us or that we try to make up for ourselves to make this work. Get focused on what's real. Get focused on what's true. And, and when we spend our, our mental energy on developing that relationship and understanding who God is, what, what does he promise? Trusting that he keeps his promises. Seeing over and over that he keeps his promises. When we do those things, then the results that we have been chasing after in all these other ways 
become manifest because that is who he is. And now in Christ, that's who we are. And we just got to get our thinking to line up with that and we begin to see the results. I think that's a perfect summation. <laughs> so I think we'll probably end there for today. We are still going for longer each time. <laughs> <laughs> you said it'd be shorter. Today. I know. I thought because you weren't feeling well, it would be. How foolish of me. Um, so yeah, we'll wrap it up there unless you have anything else today. Oh, always lots more, but we'll stop. Part two. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and uh, leave us a message on the Anchor app if you ever have any questions or comments about the show. You can also check out our Sunday sermons, which hopefully come out on Sunday, possibly Monday, maybe later if we do a throwback episode. Uh, We'll see you guys next time.